Our reading from the Gospel of Luke this morning might serve as a reminder that some divine signs could be considered terrifying, and some divine promises we pray will not actually be kept. They sound more like threats rather than the offer of something desirable. This week's passage begins toward the end of a larger discourse from Jesus foretelling the beginning of the end of life as his hearers know it. Horror movies have used such words to craft a vision designed to give us nightmares. At first glance, it seems like a mighty strange way to begin the season that represents hope, peace, love, and joy. But it seems to me that the sun, as well as the other signs noted here, serve to signify the greatly magnified and increasingly visible power of the Son of God in the promised second coming. The magnitude of them will be discernible even from light years away as the sun, moon, and stars will display signs the human eye will actually be able to observe. They will be everywhere, visible, obvious, and felt deeply. In this seemingly odd choice of scriptural focus, we are reminded that Advent is a season of both Remembering and reaching. We remember the incarnation and the anticipation of the birth of the Messiah. First, we hear the words of Jeremiah prophesying to the events of this season, saying, The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up from David, and he will execute justice and righteousness in the land. That's a promise the children of the covenant held on tight to for generations. It supplied hope during captivity and exile through the poor leadership of human kings and the willful disregard of a people who turned from the God of their ancestors. That promise assured a fickle people that they could rest in a faithful God. The Holy One has promised it and will do it. We remember the anticipation and expectation of generations who waited in hope for those days to arrive. Most of all, we remember that the promise was fulfilled by the birth of a baby to a young mother and her betrothed in the most humble and seemingly unremarkable circumstances. We remember that despite those conditions, the glory of the moment was announced by angels and compelled those near and far to come and witness to the arrival of the newborn king. Those are shared memories of a people of faith who have learned the value of marking time through seasons. Advent begins the Christian calendar year as we commemorate, celebrate, and remember those pivotal events in our history and formation as a distinct faith community. But as the Christian calendar began, Advent was situated initially at the end of the Christian calendar. That placement reflected the perspective of the early church, which focused more on the reach forward than the look back. In reaching, Advent signifies a new anticipation for that time when Christ will come again. The early church lived daily with the expectation that this return would be imminent. 
Early Christians lived in the wait. They lived in the wait. Interestingly, that belief did not discourage the expanding establishment of earthly faith community, though, nor did it stifle its efforts or witness. Rather, their understanding that Jesus was coming back was a source of their hope. In the face of trial and persecution, it fortified their strength in the face of challenge and confrontation on the basis of their faith. And it provided them a sense of urgency for spreading the good news in word and in deed. How differently might we respond to the conditions of our lives if we lived in expectation of the coming of Jesus Christ? What if we affirmed as a guiding and central premise that Jesus is more than a precious memory, a model for exemplary living, and a personal get-out-of-hell-free card? What if we were utterly convinced that Jesus is a radical force for justice and righteousness in constant universe-shaking movement toward the restoration and redemption of all creation? Advent is both beginning and end. The duality of the season reminds of the tension of living in the already and the not yet. Christ has come, and the power of Jesus' earthly ministry, passion, and resurrection have initiated a new age of the kingdom. We live the resurrected life already. We receive the power of redemption already. We experience glimpses of restoration already. Jesus has already come and done a mighty work in the world and in us through the power of the Holy Spirit. At the same time, the work is still being completed. The kingdom on earth as it is in heaven is not yet realized. Of course, we know this in our being. The restoration of creation is not yet fully manifest. The fullness of glory waits in the state of not yet. Jesus reminds his disciples the kingdom is coming. Of that we can be very sure. As he states, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Because they are of the same spirit as the word of God expressed by the prophet Isaiah, saying the word of God will not return to God empty, but accomplishes that which the Lord of heaven and earth proposes and succeeds in the mission for which it is sent. Thus we are delivered from that despair which believes that the world will never be any better. But the church is also delivered from that self-righteousness that thinks it has already obtained it. The kingdom comes, but it is not yet. We live in the interim time between the birth at Bethlehem and Christ's return in all his glory. That is where we are at this Advent season. Much of what Luke captures in Jesus' description of the end times reflects the epitome of the not yet. It's not a jubilant word, but rather a word of disturbance. Yale Divinity School professor Leonora Tubbs Tisdale puts it this way, quote, 
the disturbance appears to be intended. This text is meant to shake us up. Indeed, it is particularly written for people like us who are going about our business as usual, acting as if no cosmic event is about to occur that will change the whole future of the created order. God is about to break into history, and because of that action, the whole created order will never be the same. End quote. The shaking up reminds us that we're still in the not yet. No matter how comfortable we may have become or how satisfied we might be at where we have arrived, the future still demands attention. Our faith does not only rest on the power of past events. It compels us toward a hope for a future that meets the expectations of the divine promise despite how hard it may be to get there. But nothing in the gospel suggests that following Jesus is supposed to be easy or guarantee us an absence of trouble. Early Christians, known then as followers of the way, knew that their faith would most likely cost them. And still they were eager to pay up. The epistle writers and early historical accounts of the church document joy in the midst of struggle and the honor that believers expressed at being participants in the kingdom of God. It was their obligation and their privilege. We must remember then that we are not a people without hope. Christ's words will not pass away. And our redemption is drawing near. Surely there were those who have heard these words and felt a sense of foreboding. Some may feel threatened. But there's an audience that probably welcomes it. Those who already live in a world of terror wouldn't mind the Holy One coming to shake things up. When the status quo has its heel on your neck, you don't mind a disruption that breaks their grip on your world. This is a world of profound hope for the marginalized, whom Luke demonstrates that God has a preference to uplift and redeem. For many of us who live in the northern hemisphere, we experience this season as also the beginning of winter. We never have to dream of snow for Christmas. When snow falls, we receive more than our fair share. But more than half of the world experiences Advent in the summertime. Leaves on the trees and foliage on the ground are plentiful and in bloom. Advent isn't marked by a desolate landscape, but rather in the lushness of new life. And I wonder if those in the Southern Hemisphere read the parable that's tucked into the middle of this frank lesson in the Gospel of Luke a little bit differently. Let's hear it again. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. When they sprout leaves, you can see for yourselves and know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening you know that the kingdom of God is near. At a different moment 
In his ministry, Jesus curses a fig tree because it doesn't bloom. It fails to fulfill its purpose in the created order. Here, Jesus points to the fig tree as a sign of the gracious promise that summer is already near. Renewal and regeneration categorize creation, and the sun shines as long and as bright as it ever does in our direction. These are signs of Advent. These are signs of promise. These are signs of hope. Let us this day and this season hold fast to that hope as we live still in the land of not yet. Will you pray with me? Gracious God, we prepare our hearts this week in anticipation in hope of the coming of your son as we hold fast to his first coming and his life, his teachings and his death and resurrection leading to new life. And we anticipate at the same time your kingdom coming and him coming in his glory again. And we hold all these things in our heart this day in hopeful anticipation. We pray this in his name. Amen.